Hello and welcome to the Biome Podcast. My name is Graham and I am your host. So just some housekeeping before we get into the episode. We have managed to move the membership section um, to the site, so everything is now housed on biomemedia.org. You can access it at biomemedia.org, and the membership costs $5 US a month and gives you some seriously awesome perks. You get to see new activities before they're released to the public. You also have access to listen to new podcast episodes before they're released. We are working on getting Q&As with experts as well as different contests. Now, while half of your membership fee goes towards keeping the lights on here at Biomedia, the other half goes towards saving species on the brink of extinction. So it's definitely a good cause. So head on over to biomedia.org or even thebiompodcast.com and sign up for the membership and help the natural world through education and species directly. Also, if you think you're knowledgeable, head on over to the site where we have a number of quizzes with more being added constantly. So test your knowledge and challenge your friends and share your results on social media we release new quizzes weekly so keep an eye out for the new ones don't forget to tag us when you post your results as we love seeing them just head on over to the site and click activities in the menu for now though let's jump right into the animal spotlight section Hello and welcome to the Animal Spotlight section, the section where we explore the life of one of the world's most interesting creatures. Today we're going to be looking at the Komodo dragon. Now, in the remote corners of the Lesser Sunda Islands, a land where dense tropical forests seamlessly merge with sun-drenched beaches, an ancient creature of unparalleled wonder treads with quiet authority. The Komodo dragon, an awe-inspiring behemoth stands as the world's largest living lizard, casting an almost mythical aura that captivates both the uninitiated traveler and the seasoned biologist. For centuries, its mere presence has ignited a blend of reverence and trepidation, becoming the muse for countless local legends and tales that intertwine with the cultural fabric of the region. But beyond the folklore, the Komodo is a marvel of evolutionary biology. It's a testament to the intricate dance of adaptation and survival. With its armored scales reflecting the rugged landscape it inhabits, and its astute predatory instincts echoing the very essence of wild, the Komodo dragon exemplifies nature's prowess in forging creatures that not only endure their surroundings, but flourish within them. Now, dive with us into this enthralling narrative as we unravel the tapestry of the Komodo dragon's lineage and explore the depths of its majestic realm. Now, beneath the shadow of time, the archipelago that cradles today's Komodo dragon has witnessed a fascinating tale of evolution and adaptation. The journey of the Komodo is as intricate as the interwoven roots of the island's dense forest, and it beckons us to journey through epochs to unravel its beginnings. The story of the Komodo dragon doesn't start with its imposing presence on the Lesser Sunda Islands. Rather, it traces back to its ancestors, the monitor lizards, which have their origins in Southeast Asia. These early reptiles, smaller and perhaps less daunting than the Komodo, 
set the stage for what would become one of the nature's most impressive evolutionary tales. Over millions of years, this landscape transformed and ecosystems shifted. These monitor lizards underwent incredible changes. The evolution of the Komodo dragon, with its remarkable size and strength, is a testament to the survival of the fittest. Some paleontologists, for example, suggest that their colossal size could be an outcome of, the island, or of island gigantism, where isolation and absence of other predators allowed them to grow larger than their mainland counterparts. The evolution of the Komodo dragon is intrinsically tied to the unique environment and climactic conditions of the Lesser Sunda Islands. This rugged terrain, interspersed with volcanic activity and a rich tapestry of prey, provided the ideal crucible for Komodos to hone their predatory skills and grow to formidable sizes. Even today, in the deliberate stride of the Komodo, in its keen gaze and in its unrivaled dominance, we find echoes of a bygone era, remnants of a time when dinosaurs ruled the earth. While the Komodo dragon might not have directly descended from these ancient titans, it certainly evokes a sense of wonder and respect reminiscent of those Jurassic giants. As we step further into the world of the Komodo dragon, we're reminded of nature's profound ability to sculpt, adapt and innovate. The Komodo's journey from ancestral monitor lizard of yesteryears to the apex predator of the Lesser Sunda Islands stands as a riveting chapter in the grand book of nature. Venturing into the heart of the Lesser Sunda Islands, one becomes a silent spectator to a magnificent cycle of life that is as raw as the volcanic soils and as profound as the ocean depths that surround these lands. The life of the Komodo from a vulnerable hatchling to a regal adult is as mesmerizing um, as it is a story of growth, survival, and dominance. Beneath the sun-baked sands and sheltered from prying eyes, the first chapter of the Komodo's life unfolds. As hatchlings, these diminutive creatures with their brilliant scales and spirited demeanor embark on their journey amidst the world filled with threat. Their instinctual drive for camouflage and their voracious appetite are their initial weapons against the world ripe with challenges. The early life of a Komodo is fraught with perils that test the resilience and adaptability of these nascent giants. One of the most immediate and potent threats young Komodo dragons face is from their own kind. Adult dragons, especially males, can be cannibalistic, making the young ones a potential meal. This prompts the juveniles to lead a largely arboreal life, climbing the trees where the heavier adults cannot reach them. As the tender age, their famed bite, which becomes the primary weapon in their adult years, is not yet a reliable defense. This makes them vulnerable to a range of predators, from large birds to mammals and even other reptiles. While the islands are rich in biodiversity though, Finding and catching the right prey can be a challenge for the young dragons. They mostly rely on smaller creatures like insects, geckos, or small mammals, but competition and the elusive nature of this prey can pose significant challenges. The rugged terrain of the Lesser Sunda Islands also adds challenges. Coupled with the occasional forest fires and natural calamities, they can be detrimental to the hatchlings. 
Their smaller size and limited experience make them susceptible to such external threats. As they grow, though, a metamorphosis takes place. Not in the strict metamorphosis sense, since the young don't go through a metamorphosis, but they do change. The once small and elusive hatchlings feed primarily on insects, undergo a dietary shift. Their increased size demands more, from birds to small mammals and eventually larger prey. This phase of their life is marked with rapid growth, exploration and learning the intricacies of their environment. Then, once they enter adulthood, the Komodo dragon becomes the embodiment of nature's majesty and might. Their stature now allows them to claim territories, and with this, a more complex web of behaviors emerge. From intricate mating dances to fierce territorial disputes, the adult Komodo showcases nature's grand theater in all of its glory. Typically speaking, Komodo dragons reach sexual maturity around the age of seven or nine years. This period marks their transition from juvenile to adulthood and is characterized by a significant increase in size, the development of a more robust hunting techniques and the onset of territorial and mating habits. With the passing of years though, the Komodos experiences the ebb and flow of life on the island, from mating seasons filled with fierce competition to tender moments to periods of rest and reflection their lives are intricately tied to the rhythms of the land that they inhabit. Now, while their lifespan might seem short uh, when viewed through the lens of human years, the legacy that they leave behind is timeless. After a life filled with conquests, challenges, and contributions to the ecosystem, an older Komodo dragon, worn but wise, eventually returns to the embrace of the island, completing the cycle that once began beneath the sands. On average, a Komodo dragon, if it survives a vulnerable early years, can live up to about 30 years in the wild. Some might live a little longer in captivity due to the controlled environments and the absence of natural predators, but over the years they transition from being the hunted to becoming the apex predators of their domain, ruling the territories with unmatched authority. Let's talk a bit more about the Sunda Islands though. In the midst of the vast blue expanse of the Indonesian archipelago lies a string of islands bearing tales as ancient as the winds that carved their coastlines. The Lesser Sunda Islands, a realm of rugged beauty and ecological wonder, serve as a grand stage for the Komodo dragon. These islands, with their undulating terrains, stretch out like a jeweled necklace across the seas. They comprise of several islands including Flores, Rinka and of course Komodo. Each offers a unique blend of landscapes from smoldering volcanoes and limestone hills to dense savannas and mangrove swamps. Now, they're governed by a tropical climate. The islands experience distinctive dry season, which shapes much of the local flora and fauna's behavioral and adaptive strategies. The Komodo dragon, with its ability to conserve water and tolerate high temperatures, showcases a profound alignment with these seasonal rhythms. Beyond the Komodo dragon, the islands teem with life, from Timor deer, which serve as a primary prey for ad adult Komodos, to a myriad of bird species, reptiles, and marine life. The Lesser Sunda Islands are a living testament to nature's diversity. This intricate web of life forms a backdrop against which the Komodo dragon enacts its daily rituals. 
Over eons, the unique geology and climate of the Lesser Sunda Islands have, have sculpted the habitat that both challenge and nurture its inhabitants. For the Komodo dragon, this environment has been a crucible, molding its behaviors, diet, and even the iconic physical attributes, which we'll talk about later. The island's isolation, combined with its diverse habitat, have played a pivotal role in the evolution of the Komodo's unparalleled size and hunting prowess. The islands, while seemingly remote, have not remained untouched by civilization. Local communities have coexisted with the dragons for centuries, weaving tales of reverence, fear, and coexistence. More recently, the surge of tourism, driven by the allure of the dragons, now reshaped the dynamics of the region, bringing with it both opportunity and challenges. As we navigate through the Vedant pathways and sunlit shores of the Lesser Sunda Islands, it becomes evident that the environment here is not just a backdrop but an active participant in the narrative of the Komodo dragon. Every gust of wind, every rustle of the underbrush, and every ripple in the salt water contributes to the grand symphony of life that resonates across these islands. When we contemplate the intricacies of an ecosystem, every organism, from the tiniest insect to the mightiest predator, holds a unique position, playing its role in maintaining the delicate balance of life. If you want to know more about this, look at our last episode which talked about trophic cascades. Within the intricate web of life that in the Lesser Sunda Islands, the Komodo dragon reigns supreme, this apex predator status shaping not just its own destiny, but that of the entire ecosystem. The, as the apex predator, Komodo dragons have a diverse diet that includes the Timor deer, wild boar, smaller dragons, and even large water buffaloes. Their varied diet ensures that no single species overpopulates the island, which maintains an ecological balance. By preying on the weak, the sick, or the old, the Komodo dragons play a pivotal role in ensuring the health and vitality of prey populations, allowing only the fittest to reproduce. Now, while they are formidable hunters, Komodos are also efficient scavengers. Their keen sense of smell enables them to detect carrion from miles away. By consuming diseased animals, they aid in nutrient recycling and ensuring the islands remain fertile and vibrant. The mere presence of an apex predator, though, influences the behavior of potential prey. Animals like the Timor deer have developed heightened senses and reflexes to evade the lurking Komodos, leading to an evolutionary arms race that benefits the ecosystem's overall health. As mentioned previously, cannibalism amongst Komodos is not uncommon. This behavior, while seemingly brutal, serves as a natural mechanism for population control and ensures genetic diversity within the Komodo population. Now, while the Komodo is the top of the food chain, it shares its environment with various species, from birds that might scavenge alongside it to smaller predators that occupy different ecological niches. This coexistence, often characterized by mutual respect and distance, further enriches the ecosystem's dynamics. An indirect yet profound impact on the Komodo dragon's presence is its role in conservation. As a flagship species of the Lesser Sunda Islands, efforts to conserve the Komodo have led to the protection of vast swathes of land and sea, ensuring the survival of countless other species as well. Historically, the local communities have coexisted with the dragons, 
a relationship marked by a blend of reverence, fear, as well as mutual respect. With the influx of tourism, this balance now faces new challenges and opportunities, admittedly, with the Komodo's role as a major attraction contributing to local economies while also emphasizing conservation efforts. There are a myriad of ways in which this majestic creature influences its surroundings. We gain a profound appreciation for the delicate, intricate and enduring dance that this, um, or effect rather, that this animal has on its surroundings. Let's look at the physical adaptations of the Komodo dragon though. Amidst the harsh yet mesmerizing landscape of the Lesser Sunda Islands, the Komodo dragon has emerged as a true testament to the marvels of adaptation. Its physical adaptations, a product of millions of years of selective pressures, not only underscore its dominant role in the ecosystem, but also offer a fascinating glimpse into nature's toolkit for survival and supremacy. Firstly, its formidable physique. Standing as the world's largest lizard, the Komodo dragon can attain lengths of up to 10 feet and tip the scales at over 150 pounds. This impressive size equips it with the muscle power necessary to overpower a vast range of prey, from Timor deer to even its own kind. Now, it's not quite as large as the saltwater crocodile, but the saltwater crocodile technically is not a lizard. It is actually part of the crocodile family, which is separate from the lizard family. They have different, um, there's numerous differences, including the skulls. Now, evoking images of ancient reptilian armor, the Komodo scales offer dual benefits. They protect against the abrasive island terrain and potential injuries during confrontations. In fact, beneath these scales, tiny bones known as osteoderms provide an additional layer of defense. Now, contrary to earlier beliefs that attributed the lethality of their bite solely to bacteria, recent revelations highlight venomous proteins in their saliva. Sorry, not saliva, saliva. This toxic concoction can induce shock, significant blood loss, and even paralysis in its victims. Now, their jaws, while seemingly slender, are deceptively strong, capable of generating a powerful bite force. Coupled with sharp serrated teeth, this allows them to tear through the flesh and bone with ease. Komodo dragons can generate a bite force of only 500 to 600 psi, or about 39 newtons. Admittedly, when you compare this to a crocodile, it is weak. But, for example, the Australian saltwater crocodile of the same size can generate a bite force of 252 newtons. But this is where the venom actually comes in. So, for their size, they do have a relatively strong bite force. But, they also have the venom, so they don't need to go nearly as strong as the Australian saltwater crocodile, for example. Let's talk about thermal regulation a bit. Adaptation or ad adapted to intense tropical heat on the islands, Komodo dragons have developed mechanisms to reduce their body temperature. Their forked tongues, while instrumental in sensing prey, also serve to gauge environmental temperatures and humidity. To escape the midday sun um, and all of its unrelenting fury, Komodos utilize their robust claws and they dig burrows that provide a cool refuge and also act as strategic hiding spots during hunts. In terms of their senses, 
Their eyes, capable of discerning objects from as far as 300 meters, play a pivotal role in spotting potential prey or threats across the vast savannas and forests of the islands. Perhaps the most celebrated sense, though, is the Komodo's olfaction, which is unparalleled. With the forked tongue acting as a sensory probe and the Jacobson organ analyzing chemical cues, they can detect carrion from several kilometers away. Now the olfactory, just that everybody knows, the olfactory is the sense of smell. In terms of their movement, they have extremely muscular legs. While seeming quite stout, they endow them with surprising bursts of speed, allowing from swift ambushes to absolute pursuit. The elongated tail, acting as a counterbalance, aids in navigation across uneven terrain and can even be used as a formidable weapon when threatened. Like other monitor lizards, they will slap that tail around. The physical adaptations of the Komodo dragon weave a tale of resilience, survival and evolutionary mastery. Each feature, whether it's the venom-laced uh, bite or the keen eyesight, stands as a chapter in an age-old saga of an animal perfectly molded by its environment. In the face of this awe-inspiring creature, one cannot help but marvel at nature's ingenuity and the intricacies that can be found within it. Now let's look at the physiological adaptations, which are very similar to physical, but we're going to be mainly looking at uh, uh, metabolism, venom, blood and thermoregulation, as well as reproduction. So amidst the Vedant wilderness and rugged terrains, the Komodo dragon is a living relic. We've spoken about that. These underlying mechanisms, often invisible to the naked eye, are vital cogs in the intricate machinery that powers the apex predator. The Komodo dragon possesses a metabolic rate that can be surprisingly low for a reptile of its size, allowing it to survive on fewer meals. This efficiency means that after a substantial feast, a Komodo may not need to eat for several weeks. And equipped with a robust digestive system, Komodos can consume and digest up to 80% of their body weight in a single meal, processing large bones, hooves, and even fur. But that means 80% of their own body weight. They can almost double their own body weight when after a single meal, which is mind-blowing. Recent research has unveiled the presence of venom glands in the lower jaw. These glands produce a cocktail of toxic compounds that can induce shock. It prevents the blood from clotting, so once they bite an animal, it just keeps flowing. And lower the blood pressure in the prey, which ensure that the highest success rate during hunt. So basically, they just bite their prey and then let it run off while they calmly follow behind. Now, while their bite is undeniably powerful, it's a combination of sharp teeth that can create deep wounds and a venom that ensures the rapid incapacitation of their victims. Now, in terms of blood and thermoregulation, obviously the Komodo dragon is ectothermic. As ectotherms, Komodo dragons depend on external sources for, uh, for body temperature regulation. While basking raises their body temperature, burrowing or seeking shade help cool, helps to cool them down. Their blood plays a pivotal role in this thermoregulatory process, distributing heat throughout the body. In the often arid conditions of their habitat, Komodos have um, adapted to minimize water loss. Their kidneys and urine system 
um, efficiently reabsorb water, excreting uric acid in a semi-solid form to conserve as much hydration as possible. Now let's talk about reproductive marvels. In the absence of males, female Komodo dragons can resort to parthenogenesis, which is a form of asexual reproduction. This remarkable adaptation ensures the continuation of their lineage even in isolated conditions, which means that they don't technically need a male to procreate. Now, this strategy has been seen in fish, amphibians, it's been found in condors and other species of birds, but basically the female uh, fertilizes its own young, or its own eggs, rather, and this allows them to procreate without the um, availability of males or sperm. Now, once fertilized, female Komodo dragons lay a clutch of eggs, which they often bury underground for protection. The eggshells are uniquely tough, safeguarding the developing embryos from external threat, while the mother's physiology allows her to detect minute temperature changes, which ensures the eggs safely. Considering the bacterial-rich environments of their mouths and their often battle-scarring existence, Komodo dragons boast a ro robust immune system. This heightened immunity not only protects them from potential infections, but also allows them to thrive after consuming decaying meat. And then, let's look at their respiration. Despite their massive size, Komodos exhibit a surprising burst of speed when hunting. Their lungs and cardiovascular system have adapted to support these short, intense pursuits, ensuring adequate oxygen supply to their muscles. The unique structure of their lungs, combined with a powerful heart, ensures maximum oxygen extraction, vital for both their hunting sprees and longer endurance activities. Diving deep into the physiological adaptations of the Komodo dragon provides a fascinating insight into the hidden intricacies that define its existence. Every beat of its heart, every drop of venom, and every breath that it takes is a testament to the nature's unparalleled capacity for innovation and adaptation. In terms of behavioral adaptations though, let's have a look at how those have been honed over millions of years and how they complement the physical attributes while allowing the Komodo to thrive in an environment where survival is contingent upon agility for both body and mind. So there are ambush predators, and contrary to the image of a lumbering giant, Komodo dragons are a master of ambush. Using natural coloration as camouflage, it waits patiently, sometimes for hours on end, to launch a surprise attack on unsuspecting prey. This strategy maximizes success while minimizing energy expenditure and is part of the reason why they can go for several weeks without eating. Often they choose locations near watering holes or popular grazing sites, capitalizing on predictability of prey behavior. As startling as it may seem, and we mentioned it earlier in the episode, younger Komodos often fall prey to adults. This cannibalistic behavior acts as a form of natural population control and ensures that only the swiftest and most alert juveniles survive to adulthood. Recognizing this threat though, the younger dragons have um, adapted and um, taken up the behavior of climbing trees to evade the cannibalistic elders, utilizing their lighter weight and their agility. 
They also have solitary existences, so adult Komodo dragons are predominantly solitary creatures, defending the territories that can span several square kilometers. This solitary existence reduces competition for food and minimizes conflict. They often use saliva, feces, and glandular excretions to mark their territory, warning potential intruders of their uh, presence. They also have ritualized combat, so in certain scenarios where territorial disputes do arise, male Komodo dragons engage in a ritualized combat. This often involves the two dragons standing up on their hind legs, grappling and attempting to overpower the other. One of the good things about this is that it avoids fatalities. So the objective of these battles isn't to kill, but to uh, establish dominance rather. Once a dragon establishes its superiority, the other typically retreats, ensuring that the fatal injuries are avoided and the population remains fairly stable. It would be terrible if during every breeding season, a vast majority of males ended up dying off. During the mating season though, females release pheromones to signal their receptiveness. Males pick up on these cues and they lead them to potential mates. Prior to mating, males often engage in a series of behaviors to win over the female, which can include gentle nuzzling, circling, as well as specific vocalizations. Once the deed is done and post-mating, females engage in elaborate nesting behaviors. They dig deep holes to lay their eggs. This is not only to protect the eggs from predators, but also to ensure they remain in a stable temperature. Once the eggs are laid, the female exhibits heightened aggression, guarding the nest against potential threats and even other Komodo dragons. Now, while hunting is an essential part of their behavioral repertoire, Komodo dragons are also adept scavengers. We mentioned this earlier. Their keen olfactory senses lead them to carrion from vast distances, ensuring that no potential food source goes unnoticed. The behavioral adaptations of the Komodo dragon serve as a captivating narrative of adaptation in action. They, they underscore the harmonious melding of instinct, adaptation, and learned behavior, painting a holistic picture of a creature whose every move is a symphony of survival and ecological finesse. But how do humans interact and what are, our, what are the current conservation efforts? In a or with an animal where the habitat is so relatively small and the animal itself is so relatively large, since they're only found on a few uh, islands, the impact of humans can have a massive impact on the animal itself. Our interactions with these majestic creatures span a spectrum from awe and reverence to exploitation and more recently conservation. So let's take a look into this. For centuries, local inhabitants of the Lesser Sunda Islands have woven tales of the Komodo dragon, often viewing them as powerful spirits or protectors of the land. These stories, passed down through generations, have shaped the cultural perceptions and the interactions of locals with these reptiles. To the Western world, though, the Komodo dragon remained a creature of legend until the early 20th century, when expeditions confirmed their existence, catapulting them into a global limelight. The mystique of the Komodo dragon, combined with the natural beauty of the Lesser Sunda Islands, made this region a hotspot for tourism. While this influx has boosted local economies, it also poses challenges related to habitat disturbance and increased human-animal conflicts. 
Recognizing the impact of unregulated tourism, efforts are being made to promote sustainable tourism practices that ensure minimal disruption to the animals as well as their habitat. Despite being the apex predator, Komodo dragons are not invincible. Habitat disruption and human-induced threats have placed them on the IUCN uh, red list as a vulnerable species, especially because their habitat is so relatively small. As human settlements expand, the natural habitat of the Komodo dragon is being fragmented. This leads to increased conflicts and challenges in sourcing food. Komodo National Park was established in 1980. This park, spanning several islands, serves as a sanctuary for the dragons, providing them protection and ensuring their habitats remain pristine. Around the world, zoos and conservation centers have initiated breeding programs to understand Komodo biology better and to bolster their populations. As well as grassroots initiatives, often in collaboration with international organizations, aim to educate both locals and visitors about the importance of conserving the Komodo dragon and its ecosystem. So where do we go from here? The future of the Komodo dragon hinges on collaborative efforts between governments, conservationists and local communities as well as tourists. Modern tools from satellite tracking to genetic studies are being employed to monitor Komodo populations, study their behavior, and ensure their survival. In the dance of coexistence, both humans and Komodo dragons have roles to play. While the past century has seen some challenges, the concerted efforts of various stakeholders offer a glimmer of hope. The narrative of the Komodo dragon is not just about one species survival, but a testament to humanity's capacity for reverence, respect, responsibility towards the wonders of nature. It's also about the survival of the entire ecosystem, as we spoke about, because protecting the Komodo dragon, in turn, and with the help of trophy cascades, affects and protects the entire ecosystem itself. So, just to sum up what we've spoken about, the Komodo dragon stands as a remarkable emblem of nature's creativity, resilience, and grandeur. From the craggy terrains in the tropical forests of the Lesser Sunda Islands to the research labs and conservation parks across the globe, the story of the Komodo dragon resonates with survival, ad adaptation, and coexistence. The Komodo dragon, through its very existence, narrates a... Uh, evolutionary tale that spans millions of years. Its physical, physiological, and behavioral adaptations provide profound insights into the life's intricate um, dance with environment and time. As the apex predator, Komodo's role in its ecosystem goes beyond mere survival. Its influence permeates every strata, shaping behaviors, population dynamics, and even the very landscape it inhabits. This conservation thus becomes a celebration of biodiversity and ecological balance. Now, our relationship personally with the Komodo dragon is a microcosm of humanity's broader relationship with nature. It mirrors our fascination, our impact, and our evolving sense of responsibility. Whether through tourism, conservation, or cultural reverence, um, we remain intrinsically linked to the fate of these magnificent creatures. The story of the Komodo dragon is far from complete. The challenges it faces are emblematic of a broad environmental issues of our time, but intertwined with these challenges is hope, shaped by science, guided by empathy, and driven by a shared desire to preserve and protect. 
In the eyes of the Komodo dragon, we find not just a reflection of our primal past, but a beacon towards a future where respect for life transcends species. As we bring this um, exploration of the Komodo dragon to an end, one is left with an overwhelming sense of awe and humility. The Komodo dragon, in its majesty and mystery, invites us to ponder deeper, to look beyond the scales and the claws, and to recognize in its story a mirror um, to our own existence. It shows us that while the Komodo dragon is brutal and unforgiving and terrifies us in the way it kills, it is an integral part to the ecosystem and it is a necessary part to the ecosystem. And so we must protect it. It deserves to be protected. Let's end the uh, animal spotlight section there and stick around. We'll be talking about the um, island gigantism and island dwarfism in the technical section in a few moments. Welcome to the technical section of the episode. Today, well, in the technical section, we look at a specific theory, concept, or idea within the world of zoology and explore it further. Today, however, we're going to be looking at two. We're going to be looking at the idea of island gigantism or the um, complete opposite, island dwarfism. In the isolated realms of islands, where lands are circumscribed by endless waves, nature plays a different set of rules. Islands are not merely land surrounded by water, they're unique laboratories of evolution or adaptation, often sheltering species that defy ordinary expectations. In these secluded worlds, animals undergo remarkable transformations. Some grow to colossal proportions, becoming titans in their microcosm, while others shrink, adapting compact forms that belie their mainland cousins. These phenomena, known as island gigantism or even island dwarfism, are more than mere curiosities. They are fascinating insights into the versatility and creativity of life itself. Island gigantism is a pattern where species grow significantly larger than their mainland counterparts. Imagine, for example, walking through the thickets of an Indonesian island and stumbling upon a Komodo dragon. A lizard that has grown to the size of a small car, ruling its territory with razor-sharp teeth and a lethal bite. Contrast this to island dwarfism, where limited resources and confined space leads to a reduction in size. Think of the dwarf elephants, for example, that once roamed the Mediterranean islands, a minuscule echo of their massive relatives. These patterns were not mere accidents. They're the result of complex pressures shaped by isolation, ecological niches, and the dance between predator and prey. For the inquisitive mind, islands become treasure troves, each one hiding secrets waiting to be uncovered, each species a novel waiting to be read. At Biomedia, we delve into these natural wonders to cultivate a fascination with zoology and wildlife, exploring the underlying science while appreciating the beauty and complexity of life. Our journey to the world of islands, gigantism and island dwarfism is more than an exploration. It's an homage to the ceaseless creativity of nature and the call to recognize our role in preserving these delicate, extraordinary ecosystems. So let's first look into island gigantism. What is it? 
In a secluded ecosystem of islands, far from the bustling life of continents, certain species undergo a transformation that seems to defy logic. They grow, often to enormous proportions, becoming giants within their isolated realms. This phenomenon, known as island gigantism, is a marvel that points a vivid or paints a vivid picture of nature's adaptability and ingenuity. But what exactly is island gigantism? How does it contrast with typical um, adaptation patterns? The phenomenon can be described as a tendency for certain animals on islands to grow larger than their mainland relatives. Where one might expect to find creatures restrained by limited resources of an island, they are instead unexpected giants, masters of their confined territories. The reasons behind island gigantism are as diverse and complex as the islands themselves. In many cases, it's the absence of predators that allow these species to grow unencumbered. The lack of threat from larger foes can mean that being bigger offers new opportunities rather than dangers. For a species like the Komodo dragon, this gigantism turns them into apex predators, ruling their island domains with undisputed authority. Being large allows them to feed on water buffaloes, Timor deer, and even wild boars, which no other species on the island um, did. So it, it allowed them and it opened up the new niche for the monitor lizards. But it's not merely about being big. Island gigantism is about the roles that these species fill in their unique ecosystems. A creature may grow larger to exploit a particular food source, like the Komodo dragon and the water buffalo, or to adapt to a specific environmental challenge. Every giant tells a story of adaptation and survival, shared by the island's unique history and geography. In the world of island gigantism, size truly does matter. It's not just a matter of being larger, it's about what that size means in the context of a delicate, self-contained ecosystem. Now, through the lens of island gigantism, we can see adaptations in action, a living testament to nature's ability to shape and be shaped by its surroundings. As we explore further into the world of island gigantism, we'll uncover specific examples, delve into the theories and causes that drive this phenomenon, and explore the broader implications and importance of these natural marvels. These giants are not just a spectacle, but they are an invitation to understand our world from a unique perspective, offering lessons that resonate far beyond the shores of their isolated homes. The story of island gigantism is best told through living examples, such a unique testament to nature's creativity and adaptability. These giants, isolated in their island domains, offer a window into worlds where adaptation has painted with bold strokes. So let's have a look at some of these and unravel the stories behind their astonishing growth. We've already spoken about the Komodo dragon. Nestled within the Lesser Sunda Islands of Indonesia, the Komodo dragon reigns supreme. The monitor lizard has grown to an impressive length of up to 10 feet and weighing about 150 pounds. This creature's size is no mere spectacle, it's a key to survival. The Komodo dragon's sheer bulk allows it to take down prey as large as deer and water buffalo, and its venomous bite ensures that even the most formidable quarry is within its grasp. It also means that it doesn't have to have as strong a jaw like the uh, Australian saltwater crocodile, for example. On its island home, though, this dragon is both king and myth come alive. But what about other islands? 
let's look at the giant tortoises of the Galapagos. A gentle giant of the Galapagos Islands, the giant tortoise is a symbol of endurance and timelessness. With a lifespan extending over a century and weighing up to 900 pounds, these tortoises offer or often move at a pace that reflects the slow, inexorable rhythm of island life. Their size serves as a purpose, allowing them to store water and go without food for extended periods. In a land of scarcity, being a giant is not about power, but about persistence. Then, let's look even at the insect realm. In St. Helena, the island of St. Helena, they have a giant earwig. This unsung giant of the insect world, the now sadly extinct Selena uh, St. Helena giant earwig was once found on the remote island of St. Helena in the Atlantic Ocean. Growing up to three inches long, it was a true giant amongst insect insects. While it's not visually imposing as the Komodo dragon or as majestic as the giant tortoise, its size was a unique adaptation to its isolated habitat. Again, a testament to the subtle ways in which island gigantism can manifest. These examples illustrate a, the diversity and the beauty of island gigantism, each one a unique chapter in the grandeur, grander narrative. From the ferocious Komodo dragon to the gentle giant tortoise, and even the often overlooked giant earwig, these creatures tell a story of survival, adaptation, and boundless creativity of nature. So what are the theories and the causes of it? Island gigantism is more than a pattern. It's a puzzle that beckons scientists, naturalists, and curious minds alike. To comprehend the giants that roam these isolated islands, we must delve into the underlying theories and causes that have sculpted them. What drives this growth? What sparks this transformation from ordinary to extraordinary? Here's an or exploration of the complex forces that breathe life into island gigantism. There's the lack of predators. In the secluded islands, the absence of large predators often give way to growth. Without the constant threat of predation, species can expand in size, occupying new ecological roles. This lack of predatory pressure transforms an ordinary creature into a commanding presence, an apex predator in its own right, as can be seen with the Komodo dragon. Another one is increased competition of food or for food. On islands, food resources can often be scarce or specialized. In this constrained environment, size can become an advantage, allowing a species to exploit a unique food source or to forage more efficiently. The giant may not be born out of abundance, but rather out of necessity, a solution for, uh, to the eternal challenge of survival. Now, there could be adaptate, uh, adaptive advantages rather, being large is not merely about dominance, but it also can be about adaptation. In some cases, size brings with it unexpected benefits. The giant tortoise of the Galapagos Islands can store water, enabling them to endure harsh, arid conditions of their home. Size becomes more than a trait, it becomes a strategy. It could be released from competition. In the mainland, competition from other species often keep a creature in check, defining its size and its role. On an island, released from these constraints, a species can adapt freely, finding its own balance. It's a dance of adaptation, one where size and form and shape are a complex interplay of factors. Each one is fine-tuned to the island's unique rhythm. 
the history and geology of the island could play a part as well. They can also influence gigantism. The age of the island, its distance from the mainland, and its topography can all play roles in shaping the giants that inhabit it. It's a story written in the rock and soil and wind and wave, a tale that transcends the individual and speaks to the island itself. In the world of island gigantism, every giant tells a unique story, and every story is a glimpse into the intricate machinery of its environment and its ecosystem. These theories and causes are not merely explanations, they're narratives that reveal the creativity and complexity and resilience of life. But what are the implications and importance of island gigantism? So the phenomenon of island gigantism isn't merely an intriguing natural wonder, it's a profound testament to the power of adaptation with implications that echo far beyond the shores of remote islands. The giants of these isolated islands are not just spectacles, they're rich narratives that reveal the delicate interplay of life, environment, and survival. So they contribute to biodiversity. Island gigantism is a celebration of, uh, of life's diversity. Each island giant represents a unique um, evolutionary pathway adding to the rich tapestry of life on Earth. The more we understand these giants, the more we appreciate the complexity and the beauty of biodiversity. Giants of islands are often as fragile as they are imposing. Understanding that their unique adaptations and ecological roles can guide conservation efforts. The loss of a giant is not just the loss of an individual species, but it's a disruption to an entire ecosystem, a tear in the delicate fabric of life. But it also gives us insights into adaptive processes. The study of island gigantism offers valuable insights into the processes of adaptation. These giants teach us how species adapt and thrive, shedding light on the dynamic forces that shape life. They become living laboratories, offering lessons that resonate across biology, ecology, and even our understanding of humans. And then there is the connection to human impact. Islands are microcosms, and the giants that inhabit them are sensitive to changes. Human activities can have profound impacts on these isolated ecosystems, turning giants into endangered spectacles. Exploring these connections reveal our role and responsibility in preserving these extraordinary creatures. The giants of the islands are more than scientific curiosities. They're sources of inspiration and wonder. They challenge our perceptions, ignite our curiosities, and they remind us of the endless creativity of nature. They become symbols of what's possible, inspiring a sense of stewardship and a deeper connection to the natural world. The giants of the island are not merely studies, uh, subjects of study. They're ambassadors of life's complexity and re resilience. They remind us that our planet is a place of endless possibility, where even the most isolated corners harbor secrets, wonders, and wisdom waiting to be uncovered. So let's pause with the island gigantism for a sec, and let's instead look at island dwarfism. In the world of islands, not all inhabitants are d destined to become giants. On these isolated shores, a contrasting phenomenon occurs one that whispers of adaptation and resilience in the face of scarcity. This is the realm of island dwarfism, a fascinating adaptational response where size is minimized and life takes a more diminutive form. 
Island dwarfism is a tendency for certain species on islands to adapt into smaller versions of their mainland counterparts. While island gigantism paints a bold and imposing picture, island dwarfism weaves a more subtle, yet equally captivating tale. It's a story of conservation, of careful management of resources, and of thriving in a land where space and sustenance are limited. So imagine walking through the dense foliage of an ancient island and discovering the remnants of dwarf elephants, for example, a species that once roamed in miniature herds, their size a graceful concession to the demands of their home. Picture the dwarf hippopotamus of Madagascar. Their smaller stature is a testament to life's ability to find balance and harmony, even in confinement. The phenomenon of island dwarfism is not a mere reduction in size. It's an eloquent expression of nature's ability to adapt and to optimize. On islands where resources are scarce and predators are few, being smaller can be an advantage. It's a strategic response, a conscious path that reflects a deep understanding of the island's unique rhythm and requirements. Now, unlike the giant spectacle of the or the grand spectacle of the giants, the dwarfs of the island speak to soft or speak in softer tones. Theirs is a narrative of subtlety, efficiency, and elegance. They remind us that the size is not always about dominance. It can be about harmony, fit, and grace to adapt to the contours of the constrained world. So, what are some examples? In the delicate dance of island dwarfism, the players are many and varied. These dwarfs scattered along uh, across the isolated islands of our world provide a glimpse into the dimension where size is sculpted by necessity, strategy, and artistry. It's let's venture into the realms of these miniaturized marvels, uncovering the stories behind their enchanting existence. So we've spoken about the dwarf elephants in the Mediterranean. They once roamed the islands of the Mediterranean. The dwarf elephants were a mesmerizing sight. A fraction of the size of their mainland relatives, these diminutive creatures adapted to the limitations of their island homes. Their small stature, a graceful response to limited resources, is a profound testament to nature's ability to find harmony and balance. We've also mentioned the dwarf hippopotamus of Madagascar. In the secluded corners of Madagascar, the dwarf hippos found a niche all their own. Smaller and more agile than their mainland cousins, they became masters of their domain. Their size is an eloquent expression of adaptation. Though they are now extinct, they remain a captivating symbol of life's resilience and creativity. But there's even dwarfism um, in our own history. Homo floriensis in Indonesia. Perhaps one of the most intriguing examples of island dwarfism is the Homo floriensis, or hobbit humans of Flores, Indonesia. These ancient human relatives stood just over three feet tall. Their small stature, a response to the constraints of island life. They are a mirror to our own journey, a reminder that we too are a part of nature's endless dance of adaptation. But then there's the key deer in the Florida Keys. The key deer is a subspecies of the white-tailed deer, it thrives in a unique ecosystem of the Florida Keys. It stands at just about two and a half feet at the shoulder. This miniature deer has become a symbol of adaptability and survival. Its small size allows it to navigate the limited terrain, turning constraints into opportunities. 
There's the Channel Island in California, or the Channel Island fox, rather, in California. On the Channel Islands off the coast of California, the fox has found its own place. It's about the size of a house cat. This fox has adapted to fit its isolated home. It's a lively embodiment of island dwarfism, a creature that has embraced its environment, turning size into an asset rather than a limitation. In the shadows of the giants, the dwarfs of the islands dance a quiet ballet, each one a unique expression of nature's grace. They remind us that life's beauty is not just about, or not just found in grandeur, but in the delicate interplay of form, function, and environment. So what are the, some of the theories and causes? The enchanting dance of island dwarfism is not merely a spectacle. It's a profound lesson in adaptation, efficiency, and life's ability to fit the contours of its environment. The small stature of these island inhabitants isn't an accident, but in a deliberate evolutionary response. So let's explore some of the theories and ca causes that uh, craft these diminutive wonders, adding depth into our understanding of this phenomenon. Limited food resources. On islands where food and space are scarce, a smaller size can be an advantage. The dwarf creatures of the islands are masters of efficiency, turning limitations into strategic assets. Their reduced size allow them to thrive on fewer resources, painting a portrait of life's ability to optimize and adapt. There might be the absence of large predators. In the secluded world of islands, the absence of large predators often shapes the landscape of life. Without the threat of predation, smaller size becomes a viable strategy, allowing creatures to specialize and find their unique place in the ecosystem. This dance of the dwarfs is often a dance without giants, a delicate interplay shaped by the island's unique rhythm. Competition from other species. On islands, competition can take a unique form, with species vying for limited resources. In this environment, smaller size can be a winning strategy, allowing a species to exploit a niche that others cannot. The dwarfism observed in these island inhabitants is the creative response to competition, a way to find harmony and balance in a constrained world. There could be genetic factors. The isolation of islands can lead to smaller gene pool, which can influence the size and characteristics of a species. This genetic dance can result in dwarfism, a natural outcome on the island's unique evolutionary pressures. It's a story written in the fabric of life, a tale that speaks to the complexity and subtleties of nature's creative forces. Could be the ecological release as well. The lack of competitors and uh, predators on islands can often result in ecological release, where species are free to explore new ecological roles and niches. This freedom can lead to dwarfism, as species find their perfect fit within the constraints of their island home. It's a graceful expression of life's ability to shape and be shaped, to find its own path, even in the most isolated corners of the world. Why one... These factors all contribute to why one species might uh, grow large or might grow smaller. So why, for example, the Komodo dragon decided to grow, or didn't decide, but why life decided that the Komodo dragon should grow larger rather than the uh, water buffalo grow smaller. It could be any one of these factors. Um, and we may never know the exact reason, but it, both are viable options. But what are the implications and importance? So, 
The diminutive inhabitants of islands with their unique adaptations are more than curiosities. They're messengers, educators, and stewards of vital principles that resonate with our world and align with the ethos of biomedia. Let's explore the implications and importance of island dwarfism and why it matters. Island dwarfism is a masterclass in life's ability to adapt and optimize. The smaller stature of these species is not a limitation, but a strategic response, an expression of life's grace in turning scarcity into opportunity. It's a lesson that resonates with our own human challenges, often in offering insights into sustainability, resource management, and resilience. The phenomenon of island dwarfism results in or contributes to the tapestry of life, adding depth and complexity to ecosystems. It illustrates how diverse life forms can exist, or coexist, each finding its unique niche. They're a window into adaptive processes. Through the lens of island dwarfism, we can peer into the very mechanisms of adaptation. The adaptation of these species to the island homes is a living laboratory, a space where we can observe the subtle dance of natural selection, genetic drift, and of um, adaptive creativity. It's a vital tool for scientific understanding, a gateway to deeper insights on how life shapes and is shaped itself. It allows us to dig into conservation and stewardship. The story of island dwarfism is fragile, threatened by habitat loss, and human interference as well as natural disasters, they call for our stewardship and care. These dwarfs of the islands are symbols of our global responsibility, reminders of the delicate balance that sustain our world. Beyond science and ecology though, island dwarfism is a source of inspiration and wonder. It's an expression of life's diversity, a dance that captivates the imagination and fuels our fascination with wildlife. It's a story that aligns with our mission to cultivate a love for zoology, inviting our community to explore, engage, and celebrate the beauty of our natural world. Now let's look a bit at the interplay between gigantism and dwarfism. It's a spectrum of adaptation. So island gigantism and dwarfism are not opposing forces. They're complementary strategies, two ends of a spectrum that illustrates life's agility and creativity. On islands, species find their perfect fit, some growing larger, others smaller, each in response to unique pressures and opportunities of their environments. It's a narrative that speaks to the fluidity of life, a lesson in how form follows function. While some species grow large to exploit available resources, others shrink to carve out unique niches. This balance fosters a rich biodiversity, a vibrant tapestry that contributes to the stability and resilience of the ecosystem. The contrasting interplay of gigantism and dwarfism invites us to explore, learn, and care. It is a journey that inspires curiosity, cultivates fascination, and demands stewardship. These island inhabitants, both large and small, are symbols of our connection to nature, reminders of our responsibility to preserve and celebrate the delicate balance of life. Most people think that if a species on an island exhibits gigantism, then all the species on that island should exhibit the same adaptations. But that's not necessarily the case. The species would be affected by different evolutionary or adaptive pressures. This leads really nicely into the last episode talk about trophic cascades, where no species is alone. If one species changes, the effects of those changes ripple throughout the ecosystem, affecting other species differently. 
So let's take a look at some of those examples. For example, in Island Gigantism, we've spoken about the Galapagos tortoise. They are perhaps the most well-known examples of Island Gigantism. These creatures have grown to a massive size compared to their mainland relatives. Their large size may have adapted or may have been adapted due to the lack of natural predators and the need to travel long distances for food, allowing them to store more energy. However, on the same islands, we find examples of island dwarfism, such as the Galapagos penguin. As the only penguin species found north of the equator, it is notably smaller than its relatives in colder climates. This smaller size might be a response to limited resources and the unique ecological pressures of the island environment. Again, on the islands of Indonesia, for example, in Flores Island, you've got the Komodo dragon. Found on various islands in Indonesia, including the Flores Island, it is the largest living species of lizard, growing to 10 feet in length. Its significant size is likely due to the absence of other carnivorous mammals or even carnivorous animals, allowing the Komodo dragon to occupy a dominant predatory niche. Interestingly though, on the same island of Flores, there remains the small species of hominin, Homo floriensis, also colloquially known as hobbit. Um, this species stood about three and a half feet tall or three feet tall, and its small stature may have been a response to the limited resources available on the island. These examples illustrate the complex fascination or fascinating dance of life, where the same environment's unique pressures and opportunities can lead to both gigantism and dwarfism at the same time. They demonstrate the rich biodiversity that can exist within a confined space and the creative ways in which life adapts to its surroundings. Let's have a look at human impact and conservation. Historical human interaction. So human curiosity has led us to explore and colonize remote islands, bringing with us new species, tools, and lifestyles. Such interactions had a pronounced effect on island ecosystems. For instance, the dodo bird of Mauritius, an example of island gigantism, met its end due to hunting and introduced species by sailors. In contrast, in contrast, the aforementioned Hobbit of Flores, though not directly linked to modern human actions, was a significant discovery that reshaped our understanding of um, where we come from. Then there is the introduced species and disruptions. One of the most significant human impacts on islands is the introduction of foreign species. These new entrants can wreak havoc on delicately balanced ecosystems. Predators like rats or feral cats can decimate local bird populations, especially those that have never had to adapt ways to counter such threats. For example, some of the predators or some of the birds in New Zealand are currently getting um, decimated by cats and rats. Competing herbivores can deplete resources, making survival challenges uh, for challenging for native species. Then there's habitat disruption or destruction. Infrastructure development, deforestation, and agriculture transform the landscapes of islands, reshaping the habitats that birth the unique adaptations of gigantism and dwarfism. These changes can directly endanger many species and the specialized roles that they play within their environments. Conservation efforts stand as a beacon of hope. The initiatives to eradicate invasive species have been successful on various islands, restoring a semblance of original balance. 
Protected reserves and ecotourism can provide both sanctuaries for species and education for humans, cultivating a deeper appreciation for the marvels of island evolution. Dedicated breeding and reintroduction programs like those for the Galapagos tortoise showcase humanity's potential to mend the wounds we've inflicted. Education and public or educating the public about these phenomena fosters appreciation and support for conservation efforts. By raising funds and awareness, we can actively contribute to the protection and study of these unique species. Engaging with local communities, leveraging platforms like biomedia, we can amplify our collective impact, weaving a global tapestry of advocacy and action. Through understanding our impact, we can uncover our potential. The dance of giants and dwarfs on islands may face challenges, but with knowledge, passion and collective effort, we can ensure the ballet continues for generations to come. On the secluded canvas of islands, nature sketches grand narratives, tales of giants that roam with gentle majesty, stories of diminutive wonders that conquer the world inch by inch. These phenomena, island gigantism and dwarfism, are captivating glimpses into nature's creative prowess, shaped by the unique forces and freedoms of insular life. It's as we venture deeper into this narrative, another prominent actor emerges, humanity. Our footprints, both gentle and jarring, echo through these island biomes. In some tales, we've played the antagonist, introducing disruptions that alter evolutionary ballet. In others, the hero, with our conservation efforts lighting the hopeful path forward. But this is not a tale frozen in the annals of scientific journals. It's a living story, evolving as we speak, observe, and act. The dance of the giants and dwarfs on these islands is a testament to nature's adaptability, resilience, and beauty. It's a story that celebrates diversity, underscores the importance of balance, and highlights the intricate interplay between life and its environment. The journey through the realms of island gigantism and dwarfism is not just a scientific exploration, but a call to introspection. It challenges us to reflect our role within the larger tapestry of life and to act with intention and purpose. As we look into the future, let's embrace the lessons these islands stand for, forging a path of curiosity, conservation and coexistence. And I think we'll end this episode there. If you want more wildlife content, be sure to check out our website at biomedia.org and consider becoming a member. The majority of all profits go towards saving species on the brink of extinction, so it is a good cause. There will be a lot more content in the community of like-minded zoology enthusiasts on there, as well as giveaways, photos, contests, and uh, expert Q&As. So be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well. This one is free but you get a free copy of our Birdwatcher's Log. It's a printable form to log all your bird sightings and easy to put in a binder. I personally use it myself and it's great. There's even a place to attach a picture, draw one in depending on your preference. The newsletters go out about once a month and contain highlights and surprises. The newsletter is becoming a bit more of an electronic magazine with the amount of content, so there's a lot to look forward to each month. A lot of new things on the site, so be sure to stick around and follow us on social media at biome.media. And don't forget, we love hearing from you, so please do keep in touch. For now, though, we will be back in two weeks with episode 17, if you can believe it. And when I say 17, that is season 2, episode 17. So, episode 40-something, I guess. 
If you want to hear the podcast before it's released to the public, sign up for that membership and you can get a sneak peek on all the exciting things in the pipeline. Until next time, though, remember to always ask questions.